Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to Rain. And I'm so glad you're here, babes. This podcast is all about opening up, having important conversations and celebrating successes, as well as overcoming obstacles to reign over our own lives. I love to chat to people and I always find things in these conversations to take away and use in my own life. So I really hope you'll find the same as well. Welcome to Rain. Who else was absolutely obsessed with Dolly Alderton's memoir, Everything I Know About Love? Well, today we are joined by one of the stars of the BBC adaptation of the book, It's Marley Sue. The show follows Maggie and her three housemates and friends, Birdie, Amara, and Marley's character now, who go through the grubby stage of their 20s together, from the breakups to the friendship fallouts and the house parties in between. I love Nell, and spoiler alert, she's a teacher and is the blunt advice giver of the group who leaves her stable-seeming relationship for a new independent life, which sees her sleep with her boss and makes some decisions she might regret later in life. So relatable, right? Today, Marnie shares some hilarious behind-the-scenes stories from filming the show and some very relatable tales from her own house share experiences. She also talks about having to film that masturbation scene and why that was so important to be shown on TV. Plus, we get some really great early noughties nostalgia moments coming through for you, including Dream Map Moose, anyone? As a Scottish Chinese actor, Marley also tells me about her journey with her mixed race heritage and losing her father. I love talking to Marley so much. She's so open and so funny, and I hope you fall in love with her too. Now, crowns at the ready. Let's ray. Well, hello, babe. How are you? I'm good. Lovely to meet you. Oh my God. I'm so excited to meet you because I've fallen a little bit in love with you, watching you and everything I know about love. Whoa, what a ride and what a hoot all at once that show is. Was it literally the most fun thing to shoot ever? It must have been, right? Yeah, I mean, like so many of those scenes when we're just like sitting on a sofa eating pizza. Do you know how many scenes we eat in? Have you noticed like we eat pizza, we eat pasta, we drink, we drink a lot. So like, (laughs) that's like not that hard, you know, if you're just sitting on a sofa and just eating pizza and chatting with like other amazing actresses. So like that was, yeah, very... I can't pretend that was hard work. That wasn't hard work. But I will say, actually, all the drinking scenes with, like, all the glugging the wine, that's, like, very, very sweet grape juice. And, um, and you see, in episode six, we have a big drinking game. And I made it, like, very much that, like, Nell needs to be, like, downing her drink every single take. And, like, I honestly think I'll probably need a filling because of that. Like, it was <laughs> my teeth at the end of that were, like, I was, so I can't go see my dentist. I can't explain to them why. Like, why are my teeth? covered in sugar <laughs> you'll be like um so i'm just slightly addicted to grape juice now just let's just go with it it's totally fine pop the filling in no more questions yeah let's not talk about why i down grape juice all the time i just loved the bits as well where you were like just singing and dancing around and when you did the five lyrics like get on when you're down I was like yes like literally that's like so so visceral about that because I was like I don't think I remembered any of those lyrics and then then you literally just can't get out of your head it's so like embodied in your brain afterwards Belle literally didn't know the lyrics I don't know if you noticed but she's reading them 
she like she like wrote down the rap well it's not a rap but she wrote down like the little fast bit and she was like it is in character that birdie wouldn't birdie wouldn't know the lyrics so she was like i am but i was also like Belle, do you know the lyrics <laughs> and she was like because you could see her like reading them and singing and, and like and the utter terror on her face is like alia very overly excitedly puts a hairbrush in her face but um you know that originally was meant to be um milan rouge Hey, sister, so do you know that one? One of the one of the best songs ever created by humankind, to be honest. Right, and that was the one in the original script and the read through we did, and we were just like got so distracted in the read through because it was so much fun, but um, couldn't get the rights. Couldn't get the rights to it. It was too expensive. Damn it! <laughs> I know, I know. So we were all a little bit heartbroken, but then Dolly brought in five, and she also brought in as another option. Do you know, twenty one seconds to go. So solid crew. And then we tried to do it. We were like, wow, like we can't pull this one off. Like we need to do five. Like there's no way the three of us could sing this song. I love how this job really pulled on every single skill set you had from rapping right the way through to just professionally eating pizza and grape juice every day. Yeah, all of my skills. I'm very employable. <laughs> that CV is popping now, isn't it? I know, I know. I'm like, just everyone watch that and you can, if you need someone to sit on a sofa and sing along to music or to dance in the club, like, I'm I'm here, I'm ready. I'm very, I'm very employable. <laughs> but actually, do you know what? Some of that stuff is quite hard, I'm going to say. Because <laughs> also eating over and over again is like, I, I also, I've got a pet peeve of like people on TV or films who like pretend to eat and they'll just like move it around their plate. Do you know what I mean? Have you seen like, They'll just mm-hmm. cut it up over and over again and they'll never, they'll never. And I get why they're doing it because it makes you sick by the end of the day when you're eating the same thing, like cold pasta over and over again. But like, it really annoys me. So I'm always like, I'm going to eat, I'm going to eat like in every single take. And then, and then you feel sick. You do feel sick at the end of the day when you've had like, also I don't, eat, I can't eat gluten. So the poor rest of the cast had to eat gluten-free pasta, like because I <laughs> had to have it. And it just, gluten-free pasta doesn't like age well. It just turns into like, mushed so it looks like mashed potato by the end of the day so we're eating like mashed potato pasta and I'm like I'm so sorry guys my fault (laughs) I'm loving these behind the scenes secrets (laughs) this is already popping off I love this because when you when you think back to when you first heard about this role how did it come into your life what did you think when you read the scripts and what was the audition process like for you take us back to your beginning um, so I got a call from my agents and they said they were making this show into the book into a show and I knew the book I'd read the book so I was like instantly excited because I knew it was great and then I think they sent me a couple I think I got the first two episodes to read and then a few scenes to put on tape and Dolly wrote a really in-depth description of Nell she like um I, I still have it in email it was like it was she had just really like described a person more so than I'd ever had in any other edition. Um, so when they did a tape, and um, I think it was quite quick. A couple of weeks later, they asked for a Zoom recall, um, and I, I, oh my god! So I don't know why I hadn't done editions a lot because we just came out of COVID and I hadn't done anything like live. I'd done tapes, so I and I really wanted this one, so I was quite like, okay, everything I can do, and I decided to bring a lot of props. So I had, um, I made a bowl of pasta. For um, one of the scenes, and I and I had a big, big like pint glass of water. So for the other scene, so I could be like drinking during the scene. And like the first time we did the first scene, I like choked on my water, and I was like, I was all over the place. And then the second scene, still hadn't learned my lesson, decided to go in with the pasta, 
I'm like trying to eat pasta and like they're all just watching me on these little zoom screens while I'm like can't get my lines out because I've got like a mouthful of pasta and I was like well came off of that like fuck that and they're also so like on zoom everyone's so straight-faced and like they don't want to interrupt you and everyone's just like looks a little bit like they're dying they don't want to be there and I was like that was an awful awful addition they all just watched me eat pasta and look like they don't want to be there <laughs> but um but then yeah then got then I had my my final round I was meant to be with Ali I was meant to do a chemistry test with her but the job I was on there was a COVID outbreak so we all had to isolate for a week so I was like again fucked it like they'll just go and find someone else why would they wait for me and I remember being like so dramatic being like like trying to stalk Dolly's Instagram and be like okay that's it she's followed someone that's who she's cast as now <laughs> not me I was being like a crazy ex-girlfriend basically over this process like um and yeah I didn't I thought I, I didn't get it and then like a week later they were like okay when I was out of quarantine they were like they got me to come and read with Emma and we did a chemistry test and then a couple of days later they were like yeah you got it and it was like in hindsight so not dramatic like such a nice lovely calm process and I made that whole process so much more stressful than it needed to be like I just <laughs> added so many components to like my head made that a horrible thing where where they were just lovely and like Dolly was like yeah we liked you from the first tape we were pretty sure it was you I was like really because I was like so sure it wasn't I was like in every way I could I was like thinking of every person that was better for that role than me so it's a lesson to like not sabotage yourself, I guess, after that. Oh my God. The self-sabotage and the creation of drama that I bring to my life is so extreme. I completely resonate what you just said there. Because it could be the calmest situation ever. I'd be like, oh my God, let me just put like sprinkle a little drama on this for no reason. Like, why am I doing it to myself to make my life more difficult? Like, are there people in the world that don't do that? Like, who are they? And can we I need to meet them. (laughs) Can we meet them? Can we have a sit down chat? And process how we stop putting yeah. the seasoning of drama into our lives. <laughs> Please, someone, if you're listening, approach us, find us, teach us, coach us. Yeah, set up a Zoom seminar and we will be there front seats taking notes. <laughs> that is highly relatable. And Nell is a very relatable character in herself because I think she ends up making some rather questionable choices. And then I love the part where she goes, basically I just want to be the main character for once and I think that was so relatable and so real and I think it's so great to have a sort of imperfect character on our screens like her but then she's also making very tricky decisions at the same time so how did you reconcile with the fact she's probably making these decisions that she's going to regret later in life? Do you know what I was quite nervous to begin with with Nell because I think like it's I'm so used to um, wanting, well, in real life and in work, wanting to be likable. Like you just, I, I don't know. I think that's a, a people thing, right? You want, mm. you want to be liked. And, and I mean, the thing that I love about now is that she isn't a people pleaser. Like that's so opposite to me. And like something like, like I strive to be like, but um, I, I did, I was, I remember chatting to Dolly about some of the lines, like in episode one, where she compares going on date night as like taking the bins out. And I was like, people are going to hate her. Like they're going to hate her. And all the way through as well, like um, the way she treats Neil, like also Jordan, the actor who plays Neil is so lovely. And he played Neil so funny. And crew were like, we're team Neil, we're, we're team Neil. And I was like, shut up. Like you're already making me paranoid about how much people are going to hate Neil. I know Neil's great, but I had to like sort of come to terms with the fact that actually Neil's choices are very, very 
reasonable. She is absolutely fine to fall out of love with a partner. Like that's mm. incredibly relatable and very normal. But even more so, even if she, if, if even she was making decisions that were maybe she's going to regret later or decisions that other people would disagree with like that is fine and it's actually really good to have someone and a woman that's maybe unlikable and I don't even think Nell is particularly unlikable but even if her decisions people would question it was like really important to to like fully go there and not try and like make her a little bit likable and make her a little bit softer by by the the way I played her I, I think I had to like keep reminding myself that like it's fine and it's like it's, it's I think so many people are gonna know that situation where you're just like you're not in love anymore and and you're not a bad person because of that and I think so much so many of us give ourselves a hard time about not being in love anymore and the person that still loves you is, is a good person a kind person but that that's not a reason for you to sort of put your own feelings aside and I think I think now's a great um character to explore that with yeah, 100%. And even in the parts where she starts having the affair with her boss and she gets challenged about that, I mean, it's such a tricky storyline in itself because you're watching it thinking, oh, there's an upset balance of power here. And it's and even that is quite a nuanced discussion as well to have. So when you approach that element of her storyline, how did you want to go about that? And what did you kind of want to say about her and her decisions in that moment? Yeah, again, I was a bit nervous because I was like, he's married and he's her boss and he's older and like and I asked Ollie like with some of this and we do you know what there were some scenes that like unfortunately had to get cut like we didn't even get to film them but they were in the original script that kind of saw a little bit more of Nell and Simon like flirting or like kind of really enjoying each other's company and unfortunately just because the time we didn't have time to do them and I was really worried without them that there was very little context for um why Nell decides besides like the fact that she's attracted to him I, I I wanted again I was wanting the audience to to understand her and like her but then also there's an element of like of Dolly being like sometimes it's just lust it doesn't need to be like we don't need an audience to like fall in love with like that relationship we just need it's like purely the fact that Nell's not been seen as like sexy before and she's missing that and even her own boyfriend doesn't see her like that so mm. she's got this person in her life who just sees her it doesn't need to be like emotional or intelligent or this kind of like mental connection it's just he sees her as hot and she's like swept up in that and that's a very real thing too that we just having someone just be attracted to you and how appealing that is and I think I also was like nervous because I was like why like some of this some of the stuff between now and Simon I was like I was just questioning myself I'm like why is she doing this and and Dolly also kind of wanted I think also the way she steered Shane who played Simon was are also um our both China and Julia the directors also steered uh Shane towards a way of of being not like this perfect like dream man that Nell's like gonna leave her boyfriend for it's more that like Nell's in her 20s and he's an older man and that's it like it doesn't need to be that he's this like perfect she's she's just like and and I think Dolly wanted maybe Mm. women in their 30s to be like why and then to, it's because it's that thing of when you're younger and you're just swept up by an older man and like it's and maybe when you're older you'd be a bit wiser to be like no he's not that special now like don't don't make these decisions but like she's just in that moment yeah excited by the whole situation and it's a boss and it's yeah the 
power dynamics interest and I don't know if like if there would be another more series of this but I think that's an interesting thing to see maybe I don't think Nell's quite grappled with that yet that that's her boss and is, is she yeah she's not really in the position of power that I think Nell's used to being in to be honest mm. and then also it must have been very difficult to do the webcam scene as well because I think it's must be so difficult to do sex scenes at the best of time let alone then have to do it on yourself in a moment on a on a screen and then be like and how nerve-wracking was that for you when you found out you were going to have to do that how did you approach it and how did you sort of psych yourself up for it in a way and were you really nervous about bringing that to the screen too like okay so on the one hand so my agents were like this is so I got up to episodes what yeah one to four before we started filming and they were like so you you have a sex scene and then there's a scene later on which is like a sex scene over Skype and I was like really like do you know what we need more female masturbation on the screen like I'm I'm so I'm so for that yes we do let's see more women wanking like like it needs to be out there and it needs to also be not sexy and it needs to be real and we want to see it but then then it comes to doing it and I was like yeah I want it out there I don't want to be the one that does it like I actually just I didn't really think about that now even though I totally get like I want to see that on screen but I also I don't want to be the person doing it but um so when it when it did come to doing it I'll be honest like some actors are like I guess they just get on of it and they're just like real pros I'm not I'm really like I'm really dramatic about it I was like moaning and complaining to anyone that would listen I was like I don't want to do a sex scene like I was I, I was coming out of like talking to all the crew on my way to set being like I don't want to do it will you swap with me and they were like no Marley this we wouldn't want to do it either I guess that's why you're an actor and I, I was like being so such a baby about it, being so like openly like scared about it and and but the thing is they had everything in place like I can't imagine I've never done a sex scene before but I can't imagine what it was like before intimacy coordinators like I had we had female directors for block one and two we had an intimacy coordinator who like spoke through everything and like it was done in like the safest and most comfortable environment it possibly could be done in and it's still awkward and weird like it's just a weird thing to do and I spoke to one of my best mates the night before because I was it kind of dawned on me that it was happening and she was like just really make it different to you this like don't draw anything from your own life with this kind of stuff you just make a decision Mm. of like like anything physical or vocal that is incredibly like divorced from you and and go with that so that when this when you have to do it and when you watch it you know that's not you and you've not had to like give something incredibly personal over to to strangers really you know when it comes out to the I can I can see that as someone very separate so that was really helpful advice and then because um the the scene I did in episode three I sort of learned from that when it came to doing the the Skype sex scene like I really knew now like how like what well, I was I was like I don't want to rehearse it I just want to do it and I didn't want to do loads of takes and, and it was really great because if you come into that and say that to a director they're like great okay we know how you want to work and how you want to do this and um they'll accommodate that so I I, I just kind of have learned now like with sex scenes just you just want to do it and you want to get over with and you want to be really clear before the camera starts rolling exactly what's happening and um I had like every everyone on that crew and um part of that project were so behind that you know they were very supportive of how you want to work with these scenes Mm. and I think it's so important to bring those scenes to the screen like we were saying because you know what masturbation happens and it's part of the fabric of life and it should be seen on screen in the same way as 
every other aspect of our lives are seen on screen. And that is what's so special about this show because I think everyone can watch it and see themselves reflected in it. Like that, especially being in that very grubby stage of life, as they call it, you know, from the hangovers, the spooning with friends, the spending every last money, (laughs) every last penny you have on drinks with strangers that you're never going to meet again, always being in an overdraft, like those moments I was like, oh my God, that's been me so many times. It still is me at points. How do you think the show spoke to you and reflected some of your own experiences? I I definitely like living with mates and like, yeah, that stage of your life where you don't really have much else but your mates. Like you don't really have a career yet. You don't, you've you've moved out of home so your family's like far away. And like when I first moved to London, I, I moved into like a crazy flat. It was like a nine bedroom house in Walthamstow and it was like very illegal. Like they had, they had like split rooms. They put walls up in rooms, you know? So there was like rooms without windows and they were like 350 a month. There you go. And we were like, bargain for London. Me and my best mate had moved down together. <laughs> you were like, yeah, honestly. We're moving to this windowless, soulless room. Why yeah, not? Save exactly. some pennies for the WKDs at the club. That's what we were thinking. We were like, this is a great deal. And my friend was doing an unpaid internship and I was an unemployed actor. So we were like, we were this was us was like a great option the rooms were all below 500 a month and we could get two rooms together in this one house and I didn't really I think something dodgy had happened because like it gone up on spare room and there was like they'd obviously like recarpeted and repainted this house and then like got rid of everything so there was like no wi-fi there was like no yeah everything it was obviously some I don't know what happened before but everyone had been kicked out and they tried to like clean over what happened and so we moved into this like really weird house and and it like they gave us padlocks for our doors because we were all living with strangers and like things would start going missing. Like we'd have like a Hoover went missing, my passport went missing. Um, and I found out later, I think it's because so we were living with a drug dealer and like he was lovely. He was really nice to all of us, but I think what was happening was um so he was getting high and then he was dropping his key out his window, which like faced the front door, and then people coming, his clients coming to buy things would would let themselves in and then on their way out they would um just take whatever they wanted so we we realized later on that's what was happening we were like it's probably probably time to move now (laughs) um but yeah that (laughs) so that was my first experience of living in 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 London but because it was London it was something we dreamed about me and my mates like up in Scotland like coming down here like I didn't realize there was another experience of living in London I just thought that is London like it's just it's just a bit crazy and a bit hand to mouth. But through all of that, the reason that it was fun was because I was with my best mate and she used to like, if we had hard, if I didn't get an addition or if she had a shit day at work, we'd leave like like peanut butter cups or like crisps outside each other's door and like we'd have dinner together and we'd like, it was it, the reason that it was fun and, and okay through all that stuff was because like I had her and then I, I really relate that to this show that like it, it kind of everything they're going through of like constantly being rejected with work or like struggling to find someone like find a boyfriend or find someone to love like it kind of is all okay because they've got each other at the end of the day and like they don't have their skin again they can't go out but like they can sing five together or like make up a dance routine like you you can just (laughs) you can do so much when you you have each other even if you don't have any money or like anywhere to go you know 
Mm, oh my god, 100%. I mean, I've been through my fair share of house shares in London. Like, at one point I had this, like, really stunning, disgusting lavender bedroom. And I'm telling you right now, bringing boys back to that was not cute. <gasps> and then we'd come back and they'd be like, what is this? I'd be like, yes, it's basically the colour of a dodgy bridesmaid. Oh! <laughs> Dress. I can't do anything about it. I can't be bothered to paint it. And I'm really sorry that I haven't done my washing about three weeks. It's over. It's overflowing. But it was okay because you literally had your best mates around you all the time. Massively relate. The first time, my boyfriend on our second date, um, I, I brought him back to my flat. And I remember like in my head walking there being like, oh my God, he's going to be like, why does she live like in squalor? And I was so nervous. So I was trying to like make it into a, like a fun thing. I was like, so there was loads of junk mail on our front. When you opened the door, obviously all the people that used to live there, it was just like always a mountain. And clearly none of us, all nine of us that lived there, never thought to put it in the bin. So we just left this mountain of mail. No, obviously of course not. not. Who would do that? Why waste exactly. your time? So I was like, okay, first hurdle, he's got to get past the junk mail. So I was like, do you know what? When, um, when you get in, there's like all this like stuff on the front door, but like that, like you have to jump over it. That's like the thing to get into this flat. Like we all jump over it. It's like crazy. It's so much fun, like entering this flat. And he was like, okay. So we opened the door and we'd had a few drinks as well. And he decides to fully jump over it two feet off the ground over this pile of mail. And it was also like raining in November. So he, he jumps and he falls and lands like fully like on his face, like in this massive pile of mail. And I remember just being so happy, like concerned for him, but so happy that like he'd embarrassed himself so much more than my house could ever embarrass me. And like, we're still together now. I'm like, I honestly think that flat, like once you embarrass yourself, like lavender bedroom, like awful flats, like then you're like, well, this guy, they're not going to leave me now. They've seen the worst of me. And, and he just got up off the floor and in it <laughs> and it was fine. <laughs> I mean, I remember a boy coming back to my lavender bedroom and literally just going, well, this has just really ruined the illusion. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, game over. Should we just call this good. quits He's now? He's a terrible person. He was never going to last if he can't handle a lavender bedroom. Yeah. Get him out. <laughs> I mean, babe, I will... I would dig out. We also had this amazing bar because I lived with these incredible girls and they built this bar at the bottom of our garden in the shed, and we had the shed bar. So it became this like proper, proper focal point of the house. I was literally like, babe, if you don't like the lavender bedroom, we've got the bar <laughs> at the bottom of the garden, which literally had like a hatch. It had like, it was like basically like our own little Queen Vic from EastEnders, loved it. But they were such special moments because you were just so in, you were so entangled in everyone's lives. And I think that's what's so special about the show because it does make you really reflect on these very much soulmate friendships and we recently had Mackenzie Davis on the podcast and she talked about friendships and she was saying it's so interesting because our parents generation was so focused on meeting the one and then then going on to having this family and that was the core focus whereas for our generation it's much more been about yeah it's great to meet the one but we're also going to have and nurture these really 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 strong soulmate friendships as well and that can also be quite difficult at times and the way we then have to renegotiate our friendships and our boundaries of friendships is is kind of like a new thing that our generation is really having to deal like how has your relationship with friendship kind of changed and altered in your own life would you say that's so interesting I definitely like I remember being younger and like if I was thinking about this recently like when I was little like I so I moved around quite a lot and I never like had like I had lots of friends but I never had like a group like a girl gang or like I never had like I never belonged to a group I would like mm -hmm. kind of move around at lunchtime and like talk to different people 
and like I think I really craved I'm no I definitely craved it like and I really I was thinking before this podcast I was like should I say this it's really embarrassing but like I genuinely used to like really wish for best friends when I was younger like I used to draw in my notebook like like friends like friend. I just I like drawing as well I wasn't just being weird but like I I used to draw like groups of girls like friends and I, I I used to like I remember do you remember the X Factor um series with Diana Vickers oh babe I was obsessed with that series <laughs> Diana was like queen right so I in my head I used to base these girls being like yeah that's that would be my best friend like I used to like imagine like a girl like Diana Vickers is my best mate okay let's move on from that that's weird <laughs> but like I think I used to like so so crave because it was it's it is so important in your life like a close group of of best mates and I didn't really have that growing up and then I went to uni and I met my two best mates and then I was like oh like all oh, this is like it, it's 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 so important in your life to have that and it was more important than ever meeting a boy to me like even when I was younger like having these best pals mm. and then it's quite weird because in a weird way in my work life I've kind of manifested a lot of the jobs I've done have been groups of girls or groups of friends and like it's just weird that that's something that I wanted so much when I was younger in a weird roundabout way as an adult. That's kind of, and then I'll be honest, like most of my best friends, like my best mates from uni and then my other close friends I have now are all from these jobs that I've done, including this show, like everything I know about Love the Girls. It's I was thinking this the other day, like Dolly obviously has this incredible group of friends. Like I really want to meet her. Like I've, I've met Farley, which I was so excited about, but I, I just think her group of friends are incredible that, and they've obviously inspired this writing that she's done. And in a weird way, like her her writing about this has then given that to me. Cause then I've met these girls that like mm. like and then and then you, you do all these scenes where you're going out and you're dancing, you're hanging out, and then you're actually you do, you become like you get these friendships and, and it's it, I've just been really lucky that, that my work's brought that into my life and it was something that I like really craved when I was younger. Mm. It's so true because I think finding your people is one of the most special things that happens in your life. Because I don't really think I found my people until I remember going to sixth form and I was like, <laughs> what, this is when you used to have a smoking area at sixth form. So this is going back. And literally I walked onto this um, smoking area on the first day and met my best friend, Ellie, who's my best friend to this day. And it was just like this like light bulb moment. I was like, you are so, we are so synced, synced, in synced. Literally, so in sync and it was such a special moment and then ever since then in my life I've kind of been so lucky to find people who are my people and it's such a special thing to find in your life isn't it yeah they're they're the ones that shape who you are really as you as you grow up your family and then it's your friends Mm. really that do that um and I'm just really lucky that I've not had to do the work of the meeting them Dolly's done it for me she's like here you go here's some here's some ready-made friends for you and I don't have to do the awkward bit of finding them but it's, yeah, it's so lovely when you find them. I love it. She's basically your friendship matchmaker. I know. I know. I'm totally using and abusing that. I'm like, just using work to like give me friends. But friends are so great for those moments where it's about learning about yourself too. And I think that's what's so great when you meet the right people is it gives you the space to be yourself and also to challenge yourself in different ways as well. And also nurture you through those very much, which you see on screen in this show so amazingly, those sort of like very big coming of age moments. What do you think's been a sort of coming of age experience for you? Honestly, I mean, I don't I don't want to get like too heavy, but I think the biggest common, I, I would be lying if I didn't say this. I, I lost my dad when I was 22. And um 
that like that's an experience that suddenly like you're an adult you know you can't really like go you you, you like there's like a I always think with something like that is like a what's it called of BC and AC like before Christ AD there's like it's like before that and then after that and then your life's like completely mm. um it, it's 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 different you're no longer I think if you if you lose a parent you kind of can't really be a child again you sort of are forced into adulthood in a way so that definitely was a coming of age experience and and yeah friends were massive in that too like my, my one of my best mates from uni um I just remember going around to hers and just sitting in her, her house and like she would like play the piano and she'd go do stuff and she didn't sit and like need to I didn't want to talk about it, but she's just like just having someone that you can just sit in silence with and like I, I yeah I think I think most of our regardless of what the experience is I think uh friends can be the one that can help you through those times that's so beautifully put though because I think so many people go through experiences like that and sometimes you don't even need to talk or even to be listened to you just need to sit and be with people when no matter what experience you go through sometimes it's just there's so much powerful there's so many powerful moments in silence and actually just finding those people who you can literally just be silent with like that's so special in itself isn't it yeah absolutely and one of the things i also really enjoyed about it was the early 2010s fashion and beauty moments that really came back (laughs) in the show which i'm obsessed with and when I was thinking back to it, I was like, oh, I made some really questionable fashion and beauty choices at that stage in my life. Where were you at with fashion and beauty in your life in the 2010s, babe? Walk me through some regrettable looks, decisions, processes you went through. Oh, God, everything horrible. Like, <laughs> why did we wear... Um, do you remember, like, 3D movies were a really big thing around that time, I think? It was yes! yes! Do you remember? The and those, yeah, and yeah. then you would pop the lenses out and then you would just wear them. Like, just wear the 3D Yeah, why would you do that? I don't know. That was my, like, first Facebook profile picture was me and my friend in those glasses. Like, I don't I don't know why. I don't know why we thought that looked good. And then, and also, like, the the, the heavy side fringe. You know, like, the really, like, mm-hmm. way too, comes from one side of your head to the other. Um, a lot of, like, um, lots and lots of bracelets. Like, the beaded ones and the friendship ones. And then, like, the... Like just lo- like way too many bracelets. Like you would like as if you'd been to a festival yeah. but you hadn't, and you would just get fake pretend <laughs> festival things to look like. I don't know. I don't know. I was living in forests. I'd never been to a festival, but I was like looking as if I'd been to one. <laughs> I literally grew up in a village in the middle of nowhere. And I still look like I've been to a festival where probably the nearest I got to it was literally going to local farm. Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Yeah. Like there was honestly like my arm was like weighed down with the amount of bracelets I used to whack on the poor thing. <laughs> we had the same upbringing that was like our parties too was literally in someone's barn like there'd be like which actually (laughs) you know it's not that bad like that's kind of quite fun like a a rave in a barn but yeah I feel like we've had very similar childhood experiences yeah growing up in the middle of nowhere literally trying to discover what your identity is also whilst also the only shot being like French connection that's probably about (laughs) two hours away like honestly that I went through a horrific yeah. phase at that point of like the FCUK t-shirts, like not cute. That was actually in the noughties. Oh, that was a real dark, dark time. 
don't be hard on yourself. Everyone did it. Everyone would. That was like the yeah. shop. That's like the only shop that anyone shopped from. That and Helly Hansen. Everyone had a Helly Hansen jacket. Do you have that too? Like yes. The little, like, yeah. 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 And then also weirdly, mm. all the girls had um had the Playboy bunny pencil cases, which now I look back on and I'm like, that's a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they all have that? <laughs> Why were their mums okay with that them is... buying Playboy bunny merch? <laughs> They're like, oh, that's a cute little bunny pencil case you're taking yeah. to school. Ah. Yeah, absolutely promote Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting, though, because I think that fashion and beauty are so intrinsic to us establishing who we are as individuals and also establishing a sort of sense of our own self-love for ourselves as well. What do you think has been some sort of turning points in your relationship with... Ooh. sort of self-love and beauty oh gosh I'm I was like awful at like beauty stuff when I was younger like I just didn't like I was like such a scaff is that a word you have I, like I think that's a Scottish word like I didn't I didn't even wash my face when I was younger like that's disgusting I'm sorry but like my mum is like a hippie and I just didn't grow up really knowing anything about makeup or skincare or anything like and also I just I just didn't like I would like I wouldn't like have any skincare routine, but I put in like the Dream Matte Mousse Foundation. Do you remember those little Maybelline, like little, yeah. Oh, I would, like, or, yes. I would just, so I wouldn't like wash my face or put on moisturizer, but I would just stick that on and like, and blusher. Oh, and eyeliner, because of Avril Lavigne, of course. So I put on a lot of like eyeliner under my eyes. Like, I'd, yeah, that was kind of my early. <laughs> so that's changed, I guess. So there's been a journey. I, I love skincare now. So I'm very like, devout to skincare and skin routines as is everyone I think now but like that's just fun because that's very like self-care and like looking after yourself and making yourself feel good and relaxed and I think that's definitely like when you just get to as you just get a bit older you just get to like know your face and get to know your body and you just don't have as much I hope it's I mean it's always a um an experience every day of like saying like oh I'm happy with how I look because I think I have a big thing with like seeing myself on screen I still I'm always like oh gross but then trying to I think definitely as I've got older I've got a bit more through through maybe like like makeup and skincare but also just through like people in my life just being a bit more like embracing of of who you are and I had a friend say like you've got the same nose or the same cheeks or this like all the bits of your face that you're gonna like complain about you're like your niece has it or like your cousin like the like people in my life that I love like they have those I had a lot of stuff when I was younger and uh, about being mixed race and about not seeing a lot of people that looked like me on screen and and therefore thinking that my face was wrong and there and like not someone that would get jobs or get cast on screen because it, it, it didn't look like what I thought was was right or was like the image that people wanted to see on screen so for a long time I would want to change those things or I would be negative about it and it's through meeting friends um and other mixed race friends to be honest who who are the ones that have really changed my mindset on that of being like you look like the people you love and would you ever want them to change their face and I'm like never in a million worlds I think they're beautiful and she's like why would you why would you change your face and and that's been a huge lesson that that I'm so glad to have learned but to be honest it's still a thing that like every day you have to like anyone will have things but they wake up and they go oh my eyes are puffy Mm. you still have to that's just that's just normal and I think 
you just gotta have the friends that go don't talk about my best friend like that and then you go okay I won't talk about I won't talk about her like that <laughs> she's gorgeous she's lovely I'm not gonna say anything bad about my face before you pop off we got one question for you we ask everyone this question um, and that is in the rain of your life what's the one rule you'll always live by the one rule I'll always live by love this question um just back yourself you know like I think you know how to support other people than back them but sometimes I think we find it really hard to do it for ourselves like it's 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 always easier to see the good in other people and and just be have complete faith in that other people they're on the right tracks and the right journey you can see it for them but why can't you always see it for yourself so I think just back yourself like you're the best person to have on your team fighting for yourself so um don't ever doubt that and know that you know it's always great to have loved ones that you can go to and um fall back on but the best person that knowing that you've got yourself and you can fall back on yourself and that's that's a great thing to have because you're you're great so back yourself yes that is pure queen energy i love i think you're my new favorite person i'm obsessed you're my always favorite person I'm going to listen to you and your podcast to fall asleep every night. And this is the energy that I'm going to have every day now. Thank you so much for joining me for another amazing episode of Rain. I really hope you found something to take away from this episode. And if you have, let me know. You can always get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. I love to hear from you. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow wherever you get your podcasts from. And more importantly, please share this with someone you think needs to hear it. Let's get those convos going and I'll see you next time. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.